0: Welcome to another episode of the Everything Went Black podcast. Before we move on to our guest, Jason Hellman, my good friend, Jason Hellman. I'd just like to thank everyone for listening. And, um, you know, if you get a chance, uh, give us a rating on iTunes. It's much appreciated. Another way that you can uh, possibly support the podcast is by uh, our Patreon uh, campaign. And if you go to everythingwentblackmedia.com, You will see a pop up and that's a way for you to contribute to the general maintenance of the show every month and in exchange you will get a bunch of free content which I've already posted and I'm working on some new stuff. So um, those of you out there who are Patreon supporters there's some new stuff coming down the line. Um, The last couple months been very very busy for me uh, working on the brand new. Metal Matters podcast, which is going to be launched uh, through Gimme Radio and uh, the debut episode is November 13th. So it's coming right up in a couple weeks and um, I've been curiously absent from posting Necro and Everything One Black episodes because I've been working on this uh, for the last couple months. Got a bunch of content ready to go that will be launched, like I said, on the 13th of November and uh, I'll let everyone know all the details. But apparently later this week, there'll be like a trailer and they'll start promoting it. So uh, once that's underway, it'll free up my time. I'll be able to get back into doing more regular episodes of EWB and um, just kind of, you know, get keep everything rolling. So, uh, yeah, Jay Hellman, friend of mine, we've been friends since like the 90s. I met Jay, he as a photographer uh, back in the late 90s and that was like a very, very special time. In New England Uh, that was when Hydra head records was happening a lot of those bands like uh, Isis cave-in botch cable piebald they're just sort of coming into existence coming into their own and uh, Hellman was there to document a lot of that and uh, so in addition to his uh, you know the important work he did uh, with photography we also get into some Jack London-esque stories of international travel and adventure. So we had a great time. It was always fun to see Jay. And uh, enjoy. So last week, was it like two weeks ago? There was that big benefit out in LA for Caleb Schofield. uh, The recently, you know, the the late um, bass player for for Caven as well as Old Man Gloom and uh Zozobra and a very uh someone who's been who who a lot of our friends and people in general have has been held in high regard. And I I, I don't really know Caleb that well or I didn't know him that well. I met him briefly. Um I actually recorded his hardcore band before he was in Caven. In yeah. And uh and then my old band played with Cave-In in Canada, and I saw him there. And It was always very friendly, but I wasn't, you know, we weren't like tight like I am with some people. Right. Um, but there a, there's been a series of benefits, and uh, most recently, uh, the ISIS, a band that we're, you know, we're both friends with, reformed to do this one show. Yeah. And uh, you were at the event. That's right. How, how, was, how was it seeing ISIS after all these years?
1: It was good. Um, Those guys came together. uh, You know, they had kind of spoken about to get back together, to not get back together. Um, In the the live stream of that event, uh, there's some interviews with with Aaron Turner and whatnot, and and they kind of discussed that. But um, I think that with Caleb's passing and just trying to to memorialize his memory in, in a fitting way, they were, you know, trying to draw some attention to it and everything else. And it just apparently it felt like a very natural thing for them to do. So, um, for why they got back together, that seems like pretty significant reason. And man, it was, it was really good. Uh, you know, I spent a lot of time traveling with them with ISIS over the years. Um, so it just, it felt like everything, like they hadn't missed a beat. Like it just came right back together very naturally.
0: Yeah, I mean, was it a set comprising of material from their career, or was it, like, more weighted towards the later years, or, you know, they play any, like, old material? Yeah,
1: they played, uh, it was more towards the later years, but they did play um, Celestial. Obviously, that was the name that they were built under, Celestial. I think the the ISIS moniker, again, has been, you know, kind of taken over. Um, And then they played a couple songs from Panopticon and Oceanic. So it was, you know, short set. The night was not their night, um, right? But they did, they did, justice to to the night to themselves and you know, to the memory of Caleb. So, um, people came from far and wide again, uh, both for Caleb and for you know the possibility of seeing ISIS get back together. So it was well received for sure.
0: And that was at the the Wiltern Theater, which is like a fairly big room. Yeah, it was really nice. Yeah, I never I never actually been inside there. They don't, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I been, no band there. that I would play and would you be able to play in a place like that. So. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. No, it was good, man. It was a it was a nice venue. Um, I was pretty happy to have been there just to check it out you know it's one of those names you kind of hear about all these bands as they start to get a little bigger that's the type of venue they start playing so you know again I'm on the opposite end of the country and I don't have much call to be there so it's kind of cool to finally get to check that out.
0: So you and I first met was back in the late 90s in Boston Massachusetts during what I looking back I think was like sort of a I think a very important part of um, you know Extreme music or hardcore, hardcore metal, or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, it's like that. I would say ninety-five to two thousand two. That framework right there is like in in New England. There was and and there were some outlier bands from Seattle, like Botch, that comprised like this very interesting um, wave of bands that were operating within hardcore. And I feel like you were sort of on the periphery, but also you were this like fly-on-the-wall photo-documentarian of that entire thing as it happened. Because I remember seeing, like, who's this weirdo with the cameras, like he on stage with a gigantic beard, and, you know, what's his deal?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's that's exactly the deal right there. Just stay out of the way. Stay away from, you know, anything. Don't... (laughs) Don't pull any cords, don't knock any mics over, but no, I I don't know. I just wanted to see bands doing their thing. I do not want to, like, interfere with that, just, you know, really, like you said, fly on the wall, quiet, and just observe and and get tons of pictures. Of course, they needed tons of pictures because there was a lot of duds in the mix there, but, you know, the digital photography was not what it is today. Um, So I was still shooting film and doing a lot of experimenting with, you know, lighting and film speed and all this other stuff so
0: and and the whole you never actually lived in boston did you You always lived out here in connecticut yeah yeah
1: yeah so i did i lived in connecticut but then i spent a lot of time in boston and then eventually i ended up working uh, with those guys at hydrohead so i was up there for a couple days a week helping them out doing any number of things but you know that also gave me access to a lot of shows and And whatnot so it seemed I think everybody believed that I lived there because I was there so so much you know yeah I just
0: assumed because I saw you around all the time that you you lived somewhere in like Mission Hill or you know in that area in Boston
1: yeah that's I was kind of camping out with uh, Turner for a bit uh, when I was staying up there and that was the that was the hot spot
0: yeah I think it's like Looking back on that whole time frame, like I said earlier, it was like a, a really important part of New England's musical sort of, you know, even though, you know, the Hydrahead, none of those people are actually from Boston, but, and ultimately the label moved out west, but there is like that sweet spot of those few years where something really cool like happened. And how do you meet those guys just from being around or?
1: Well- there's this guy you might know by the name of Randy.
0: Oh, yeah, Randy Larson, my yeah, good friend. Guy.
1: Yeah, that uh, guy. Yeah, so Randy and Cable are from Connecticut, so I was doing a lot of work with them. Um, and I'm friendly with Randy's wife and everything else. I've known her since you know like grade school. So it was just a lot of overlap with that. And eventually, uh, Cable came to the attention of Aaron and Hydrahead. And through that, you know, I was supplying photos and some layouts and all this other kind of stuff and then one thing led to another and it was do you have pictures for this do you have pictures for that and so it it came together pretty quickly pretty organically uh and it was you know some jesuit stuff some cave stuff i think trailed into some Bosch stuff i mean the, the chronology is kind of all over the place but as the release schedule for Hydrohead was all over the place <laughs> they kind of mirrored each other but um so that's, uh, I believe it started with just, you know, kind of working with Randy and and seeing him at shows and everything in Connecticut, you know, which pushes the timeline back, you know, years before all the Hydra had involvement.
0: Were you around for, uh, you know, the uh, tra- Trash American style? Do you know Malcolm and those yes. guys? Oh, no,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, did you get to get a chance to go to the Anthrax Club?
1: That, uh, or- I never got down there. I was... Going to shows at that time, right? But for some reason, I never ended up down there, which is really a tragedy, you know, a, a huge misstep on my part. But, you know, I was probably working or some nonsense. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like an, an, there could be a whole documentary oh just dedicated to the Anthrax Club.
1: Yeah, absolutely, you know,
0: sort of the the, the mo- it changed locations a couple of times, and it was in that um, that alleyway between Boston and New York City. At a very you know like once again a very crucial time in the late oh, yeah. late eighties you know so there was all the you know all these bands that would play in New York and Boston and they always play at the Anthrax Club and you would see there is a book about it about the the venue and there's a list of all the shows that happened there yeah and you'd be surprised at some of the bands that play there
1: well exactly it wasn't just one singular thing it was a whole variety of bands which you know is always makes for some some crazy shows yeah like you you want to have that mix of bands playing i don't want to see the same you know format four times in a row or whatever it is so yeah that anthrax had a hell of a lot of stuff going on down there
0: yeah and there, there was always a couple of connecticut bands like this band seizure i remember where i think they're called seizure which is uh they seem to be opening like all the shows that i went to there they're like a local band yeah I th- yeah I, I think so maybe i'm hallucinating this whole thing but i remember seeing a band called seizure play a bunch of shows at the anthrax club but yeah the melvins played there apparently Yep, the Rollins band played there about two hundred times apparently, because yeah. I remember looking at like this, this list of shows and it was like okay, Rollins band, you know, September twelfth, Rollins band, October twenty third, <laughs> you know, just every month they seemed to be like rolling through Connecticut for some reason. Yeah, yeah, I think it was very active
1: out this way at that time period.
0: So, um, did you have a like a you know you you were a regular? Contributor at at uh, at Hydrahead, like you know, I, I hate to say job or position or whatever, but you you served a function within that, you know, sort of coalition of people that work there. You know, you and Mark, and uh, was it primarily uh, photo related, or did you do a little bit of everything there?
1: A little bit of everything. I mean, uh, you know, Aaron was doing all the art related stuff and you know dealing with bands and whatnot. Mark was doing a lot of band related stuff and some business oriented stuff. I mean, they shared. A massive amount of responsibilities but just for general purposes so anything that fell through the cracks that I could handle creatively to take some of the burden off of Aaron you know I would jump in and pick up some of his layouts and you know alter those for posters or stickers or patches or whatever it was you know just just trying to help um, yeah I was doing photography and you know you could see throughout that hydrohead catalog there's a lot of stuff that that got used in there which is you know really fun for me I mean it just Again, it happened very organically where, you know, Aaron would be working on something and it's like, oh, I got something that would work there. And so it, it worked out. Um, yeah, job is a bit of a an odd statement. Just, you know, I I did work there for a while and helped. Like I said, I, I, I think help is the, the better term. I did work there, but I also was only there part time. So I was doing a lot of stuff at, at home. I was working my own, um, you know, design stuff, programming and whatnot and and paying bills Doing that stuff, but really enjoying myself uh, working with the Hydrahead. Guys. Yeah,
0: and I mean, none of the stuff that we do is more like you know career job. It's it's like a sort of spiritual vocation, I guess. You know, this path as opposed to, I'm uh, punching in and I'm going to go and work in this salt mine for like eight hours a day and then punch out and go home and do something else. Like these things, like these creative endeavors, don't really fit in that box that people. Will construct around like a, a job, you know what I mean? Because you are constantly thinking about these things, you know.
1: Oh yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things. Where it's it's kind of the calling, you know. You don't know why, but you are just compelled to kind of pursue this stuff. I think there is a a fair amount of that independence and just the freedom to to actually be creative. You know, like I've been in some environments where there is you know some creative work, and when you are forced into doing it, it
0: doesn't feel nearly as creative. What compelled you to get into photography?
1: That's another one of those oddball things. it just there was no specific like I saw this one thing and I need to do this it just it just happened. Some friends of mine would play shows locally uh, in the in the Connecticut area, and I was going to shows and really dug in I was, you know thought that they were doing some good stuff and just started taking a couple pictures here and there and then people were talking about, oh, that was this show because we saw the pictures and it just You know, I just dug in with it and and kept taking pictures and got better equipment and then ultimately started adding, you know, flash and all this other stuff. So it just, you know, it was a a large outlay for equipment for a young kid. I mean, at the time I was probably like, it was before I had my driver's license. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're talking like 14, 15, this kind of stuff. Um, But then as I started getting, you know, some jobs after I got my license and everything else, I had a little bit of a budget where I could you know, kind of put some cash into the effort. So, and then of course, you know, it was all film. So you had to buy film and develop film and all that that business started adding up. Um, So yeah, it was just, it was one thing after another. And you you get a couple of good pictures out of a a couple of rolls, and you're like, oh good, you know, I'll try this next time. So it became uh, another kind of creative outlet where you're experimenting with things and, and lighting and everything else. I mean, it's not like I went to school for that. It just I spent a lot of time and, and money with film and going to shows and everything else.
0: So you never actually got any kind of like formal you know, training or anything in, in, in photography? No. Wow, no. that's impressive, man. But, but then again, I think about everyone I know that does stuff like anything, like be it you know video editing or design or you know, photography or any of these fields, and I hardly know anyone who actually has a formal background in any of these things. I think Turner might be one of the only people I know that actually has, like, a, like an art background. Right. You know what I mean? Instead of just, like, doing stuff, like, off the cuff, like most people I know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, you spend a lot of time with the things that you're kind of fascinated by, and you dig in on it, and you're teaching yourself things. You're teaching yourself what not to do and then how to improve on that. I mean, you can afford to do that when you're younger, and, you know, you, you have a little bit in. It's not like... Now all the equipment for everything is so expensive, but you have to have all this gear. So, you you know, people spend a lot of time and money trying to get the best gear. And then they kind of lost the plot a little bit, I think. Um, You know, years ago, like I said, black and white film was cheap. So I was buying that in bulk and rolling my own film and shoot, shoot, shoot. And then I was in the, I had a dark room at my house for that. So I just, like I said, I spent a lot of time just doing that and feeling it out and it got to the point where it came pretty naturally you know those venues were poorly lit and everything else so you just kind of work with what you have and you have a lot of latitude with creativity for small bands like that it's not like I was doing Van Halen you know yeah, artwork or yeah. anything which, where they know, would tell
0: you what they wanted yeah yeah,
1: yeah. I think that you know the, the business of music would dictate that we need a brighter shot or a crisper shot or something like that but you can have some motion blur and you can have some light trails and things like this and it was fun and interesting and so
0: Yeah, I mean that became I mean when I think of that work from that period of time that's sort of the aesthetic of what you're doing because I mean I could I just remember when I started seeing because I didn't I didn't really get to I didn't really get to know you until a little bit later yeah but I was aware of you and I think we sort of knew each other a little bit but I remember seeing your photos a lot and I being like wow this looks like that guy's photos that you know it's got this like cool aesthetic to it and it's like You know back then obviously people were just shooting from the hip and doing whatever like if you were a writer you also shot photos for whatever zine you were working with and but um so when i saw work that i thought that was like you know real real creative and interesting and actually captured something as opposed to just like you know a static photo of like some dude playing guitar or something like that i definitely noticed it now one of the things like i always you know being and peripherally involved in creative things the uh like do you when you when you shoot do you capture or do you actually visualize what the shot is supposed to look like do you understand what i'm saying
1: yeah i i I think it's for me it's pretty reactionary i mean it's not like i'm out there with a a shot list of things that i need to, to capture for a specific publication um So basically, I'm watching a band and just kind of seeing how they interact with each other, with the the crowd or, you know, um, and just follow that along and and try to predict maybe where something is going to. Maybe I can capture this moment if it happens again or something like that. But I spend a lot of time just, you know, looking through the lens, trying to to frame things up and, and capture them as they as they kind of unfold. I mean, when you get to see the same band time and time again, you get a feel for what's going on and what you might be able to expect from that. Um, but the lighting changes, the songs change, so you, you know, there's just, there's a number of those factors that kind of, like, pile up and you may be able to replicate things, and then again, you might not,
0: you know. One of the uh, things, that, one of the questions, I every year I I ponder this as to, like, why a book hasn't come out with your work in it, especially since, like, you know, I mean, it's not like you're shooting bands that no one's heard of, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you got, you know, you got Cave In, you got Isis, you got pretty much the entire Hydrohead catalog, you know, and I'm sure other, you know, neurosis, yeah. you know. Yep. So what's up? Why? Why, why, is, it, why, why is there no, no tome of black and white photographs that I can have? Oh, uh, that's twofold. The,
1: the <laughs> largest reason is the person you're looking at right now. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, that's something that I've wanted to do for a long time, and I, I talk about it and I think about it, but when I start acting on it, uh, I always get distracted. You know, I, I have a pretty long work day, yeah. um, which is a big drag. Um, not the best excuse, but it's uh, it's a little bit of a deterrent. Um, I, I do have a lot of pictures. From from more recent times, probably the bigger, more debilitating thing that has happened in history is that I lost about 15 years' worth of photographs uh, in 98, 99. Oh, man. Uh, so I, I went away on a trip and I came back and a pipe had burst in my dark room <sighs> and I lost all basically everything some of like the best neurosis pictures I've ever gotten oh, were completely no. gone for all time so it's that was really upsetting and it's a time where I had actually started with a big stack of black and white prints and a lot of stuff kind of just went by the wayside a lot of negatives I should say went by the wayside uh, with that and the best part of that is the only thing that got ruined when the pipe burst was that book of negatives. Nothing else in the dark room was damaged. Wow. So it's something that, you know, it's always in the back of my mind. Um, I just, I need to actually get a little more active on it. I'm active on so many other things and the the photo book just keeps getting put off.
0: Yeah, man, because I think that, um, I mean, the longer that the longer the time goes goes, passes, you know, I think that, that that period that we just discussed is like going to be looked back on as, you know, a very significant epoch in, you know, whatever p- punk, hardcore, metal, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Like that. It's something that I, th- I mean, especially since like some, a lot of the participants in that scene have moved on to do, you know, really important things, like great things, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, like you said, none of those guys from, from
1: Hydra Head or a lot of the bands were even from Boston, but yeah. it, just, it just worked out that way. You know? It was like there was some lightning in a bottle for those couple of years where everything came together just so. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that that's something that could have been forced. You can't put those, those same variables in place and, and have the same outcome. It just so happened that way. Um, so yeah.
0: Yeah, because like I, I can even visualize like the whole book. There'd be like you know, some, some text, you know, some writing. You know, there'd be a bunch of photos, some sort of chronology, you know, all black and white. You know, it would it would be a really handsome volume, volume one and volume two, you know.
1: I like where you're going with this.
0: Yeah, man, I just, I don't know, I see it, you know. And I, I mean, not, I'm not trying to be like, uh, for some like, you know, fucking pedestrian, like financial gain or whatever, but just to have for people, I mean, I know these things cost money, but also it's like something that like, I think it'd be just really cool to have that.
1: Oh, I can't tell you like, the amount of pictures that have been seen versus the amount of pictures that have been taken. You know, again, it, it's, it sounds a little weird, but I have got just volumes of photos just sitting there. These outtakes, so,
0: stuff that you can yeah, not use. Yeah, I yeah. mean,
1: you can only use so many pictures of the same band for any given publication or record or what have you, but there's a lot of good stuff out there. I mean, you know, I get the business from, uh, from Nate once in a while. He's like, you know, we, we actually talked about it a few years back, and he was like... I'll interview people, you know, whatever it's going to take. Let's get this done. So <laughs> maybe I should talk to him again. Yeah, that'd be Light great. Fire yeah. under me.
0: Yeah. You know, and it's like uh, there's, there's all these different like publications now. There's like, uh, you know, bazillion points. They put out all sorts of music related stuff. Like they collected that Metallian, uh, you know, that black metal zine. Yeah. It's in, like, just one big volume. They have, like, that Tom Warrior, Only Death is Real, like, book. And yep. it's mo- a lot of that's photos, too. Mm-hmm. I think something like this would fit, because you got, you know, like I said, you got bands, like, that people care about, Converge, cave in, Isis, you know, but some of the other, you know, like, Botch, you know, Drowning Man, Cable, mm-hmm. you know. I'm sure there's, like, Old Man Gloom photos and oh, yeah. things like that, you know, and and, and whatever. Just, like... And even just like the, the f- have a photo of Aaron's hallway with those, uh, the, pain- the paintings that he had in those oh, hallways, yeah. those like the, with the, the devils from the Bloodlet record. Mm-hmm. Like that shit's gone. Like no one, that's f- lost. You know, like only, like you, cause you've been to the house a bunch of times and you, 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 you get accustomed to it and you're like, oh yeah, man, that's a kid with, he's got the crazy hallway. It's sort of red with the devils in it. Right. But, People, a lot of people haven't even seen that. They don't even know about it. You know what I mean? It would just yeah. be, I just think now, especially since a lot of those guys, like people really follow them, it'd be cool to like, be like, oh yeah, you know, I, I have all this guy's records and this is kind of like where a lot of this stuff kind of germinated. And this is like, you know, the, 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 the alpha point of this whole thing. And there's like this crazy mural on this hallway, I just stuff like that. I always go back to that mural, man, because I just yeah. thought that was the coolest thing.
1: Well, I think that just, you know, that is how a lot of these people uh, in this music scene kind of like get into stuff because it's, it's not high profile. There is not a lot of press on things. So you, you find something that's interesting and you kind of follow up on it and you really dig in. And I think that's, you know, any, any little stone that you could turn over and find some new information or some new insight is, is always welcome.
0: So recently, well, for, for me, I've just learned about this, about you, is that you've been on this uh, Jack London-esque uh, travel-slash-expedition kick. Like, and, and apparently your, your, your life was, has been in danger on a number of occasions.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, um, I've been traveling probably since about 98 uh, and just doing different stuff. I did a lot in the U.S., and then eventually around 2004 2005 i started traveling overseas europe uh dabbled in um i went to egypt uh early what was that probably about 2006 or so but then uh you know hit australia and whatnot so i've been making the rounds i just have different groups of people that i travel with so it's there's kind of been phases over those years Of uh, different spots. But I mean, uh, again, to go back to the music stuff, like those pictures that were on those Old Main Gloom records, Meditations uh, 2 and 3, are from that uh, Arizona, Utah trip. Oh, wow. Okay. So, huh. Actually, that's Meditations was prior to that, and then Seminars 2 and 3 were the, you know, the, the,
0: yeah, the way they fit back together to back, into yeah, like the back yeah, the mural yeah. sort of thing. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, you it's come to my attention that you, you're in danger at some point. What happened? Yeah. Like someone tried to like well, stab a, you with a knife a or something, that, or so. what's going on? Like it's travel. <laughs> um, I hear about your crazy travel experiences. All right. All
1: right. I'll, um, yeah, there's a couple different things that are. I, I guess the biggest one is um, we unwittingly began what became known as the axis of evil tour um which started actually now now was the time oh really anniversary yeah around halloween seven year anniversary um so in october of 2011 uh my buddies chris and parker and myself uh went to russia and then from russia we went to iran um And in Iran, we had planned, you know, 12, 14 days of driving around and looking at stuff. And it didn't really turn out that way. It turned out with us spending about nine days in jail. So, (laughs) Um, you know, it's, I kind of laugh about it now because it's been so long. But yeah, it was not a laughing matter. It was, it was kind of intense. Um, So we just basically got... Detained by some local police in uh, the city of Shiraz, Um, and then they did not like what they saw with us. I'm not sure, you know, what the deal was, but they just had it out for us, seemingly.
0: Do they think you were like journalists or something like that?
1: Yeah, well, um, basically, we were walking around the town and we saw this little sign on a wall, the first instance we had seen of, you know, no pictures. Okay. So wow. My buddy sees the sign and feels compelled <laughs> to take a picture of it, and that landed us in Hawa. I mean, it was like it was like a movie. Like instantly, people started filing out of this building, and not two or three people, probably like six or seven people, just came out and like kind of corralled us back into the building. It turned out that it was some kind of secret police outpost, which was a little bizarre. Um, Do they
0: have like weapons on you or?
1: You know. They didn't. They didn't point weapons at us, but there was no way we were getting away from them, right. kind of thing. So yeah. we were. Uh, okay. We were detained. So some locals were detained as well, but um, they kind of got out of it pretty quickly. Um, uh, a local cleric came in and kind of vouched for them, and they were in and out of there in like forty-five minutes. In the meantime, we got you know kind of the third degree, and it, it was because we had a lot of camera gear. Uh, that's what set the tone for that. So, um, you know, they took my, my two friends had some digital cameras at the time. And they had, you know, taken, the, the police had taken the car uh, memory cards out of those and just started rifling through them and found all this stuff which they, you know, considered incriminating. We didn't know what we were taking pictures of. It's like, oh, there's a, a curb that's yellow and red. That's cool, and, you know, they they were coming at us with a lot of stuff. I mean, we had, like, 13-hour interrogations wow. and this kind of stuff, so... um just day after day. The the weird thing was, I mean to back this up, like if you if you asked me like, oh, I heard you went to Iran, how was it? I would say, it was awesome. You should go and check it out. Now after what I just told you, you think I'm out of my mind. Like why would you say that? It's it was just a fluke thing. Um I, I kinda equate it as being like uh, being in a car accident. Like I'm not gonna dismiss the whole country. Like I I think it was awesome. Like seriously it was probably one of the best places that we've been to. It's unfortunate that it turned out that way, but that's
0: just, you know, what that trip was. Was there a way to possibly check in with some of these guys and let them know, like, all right, you know, we're, we're not journalists. You know, is there... I mean, the language, you know, did anyone speak English? Was yeah, there... yeah, okay. they,
1: they, they spoke English. Um, didn't care what we had to say. I mean, they came at us pretty hard with, okay. you know, why do you have the beard
0: of a Jew? Oh, How geez. long have you worked for the CIA? So it's like so. Let me ask you a question now. Uh, just the beard that the beard thing. Uh, don't Muslims have a lot? Of, don't those guys have beards? Yeah, Iran is is it's <laughs> Persian. They're
1: their own thing. Okay. So they everybody was kind of giving us not friction, but they were kind of like giving us a gentle ribbon. Like, what's with the beard, guys? Like, what are you the uh, American Hezbollah?
0: So they, you know, but but it is a, it. it is a Muslim country though. Iran, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. But I am say a lot of those guys have beards. Yeah. But but so for
1: the, for us they just you know, it we stood out like a sore thumb. I'm no sure you guys did. did. We yeah. changed our clothes. Like before we went there, we had a conversation about what we were not going to talk about. There was going to be no politics. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. You yeah. know, obviously um, and we selected clothes that were very plain, you know, nothing with any writing on it, right. no crazy band shirts or anything mm-hmm. like that. So just made, you know, if you're going to do something like this, you want to be educated and, and take some precautions, not be completely reckless about it. So, um, we did all that. It didn't matter. We stood out
0: like crazy. You yeah. Know, just a bunch of white dudes wandering around. So, um, cause I, I would love to go to the middle East, man. Like that's, you know, especially Egypt. Like you mentioned, you went to Egypt. Yep. So what was the vibe like in Egypt? Was it as equally as, like, did you, get, did you end up getting thrown in jail there, too? <laughs> or, like, I'm put, you know, get so guns thrown on you there? The what, Iran what
1: thing was like a fluke. Um, like I said, it's unfortunate that it turned out that way. But, like, the Middle East is awesome. I, yeah. I think, so we've been to a bunch of these places because everybody says, you can't go there, it's crazy, you can't do this, you can't do that. No, I went and it was fine. Again, it turned out different than we expected prior to that. It was like the best trip I had been on. Egypt, super cool. Bad stuff has happened there, absolutely. Oh well,
0: yeah, for um, sure.
1: So you know, there was a a group of German tourists got got killed like a couple years before I was there. It was you know really heavy in that area, which is further south towards the border with Sudan. Um, but I
0: were they were they just like collateral
1: damage, or you know? I, I don't recall the exact details, but they yeah. were you know brought off of a bus and and later executed so that was you know obviously dark yeah and and i i wouldn't want to make light of that no Um, hell no but i i also um we went and we made educated decisions and 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 rolled the dice um you know i wasn't waving a flag around and and talking crazy politics or anything like this you know you just go and you observe and that same mentality of just being Kind of quiet, and I want to go to some place and I want to see how they exist. I don't want to go someplace and see how how I live my life or how the five star resort you know in New York City is. I want to go and and kind of peer in and see what's happening in these places. So I went to Egypt in uh, December of 2006, and then I, I went back again in that must have been mid 2013, and there was a lot of a lot of talk of what was going on with this uh, Arab Spring activity. Mm-hmm. And right. there were still tanks on the street. And, you know, I had been to the museum in Cairo, and it was gorgeous. I mean, all that stuff that you see as a kid, you know, that, that stuff you would kind of see in National Geographic. Like right. it's here's there. Here's Tutankhamen's death mask. Like, just gorgeous. And then all the riots happened. So, like, I, I want to know what happened to all that stuff. A lot of stuff got kind of damaged and ruined, but... Um, I, I didn't get a chance to go back there the second time I was there, but, you know, I, I'm. what do you do when you go to Cairo? You don't have much time, so you're going to do the big touristy things. I went back to, to the pyramids, and it was just as awesome. I can imagine.
0: <clears throat> you know, and just, you know, being Americans, our idea of age and scale, I mean, our country is, like, you know, less than 300 years old. Yeah. Right? The oldest thing in prior to this international travel is, like, you know, can't be more than 250 years old that you've seen. Yeah. So like you go out to these places and this is like you know thousands of years old that you know reach back into a past that has like hardly any 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 like reliable documentation besides from just like you know like the way the way history was documented obviously it's not written in English. Right. A lot of it's done in some you know a very uh you know occult uh sort of language yeah still not understood still not right. fully understood right what the intentions are you know and and it predates any kind of monotheistic religions too it's all like right. you know the pagan roots of all of all these countries you know
1: yeah it's it's really a trip so the first time i went we'd stopped in italy on the way to egypt so you know that was my first time there and we're looking at the coliseum and we're like this is crazy. You know, we see a bridge that was built in 62 BC and you're like, wow, this is really awesome to to get some perspective on it. And a day later, you're looking at the pyramids going like, no, that stuff in Italy is like brand new in comparison. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it really is a trip. And that's why I tell people like, you know, if you have any interest in, in the Middle East, if you have any interest in travel in general, like go do it. There's there's no reason not to do that stuff. And it's it's there, it's real. You know, like there's a lot of people trying to, to deny certain things have happened, you know, like I don't even want to talk about Germany or anything like that, but like that stuff happened. There's evidence of it. The pyramids are there. People want to talk about aliens or or advanced life forms or whatever. That's, that's a different trip, but like just go and look at that structure. The architecture is there. It exists. There's paintings, you know, I saw all that stuff. I went to the Valley of the Kings I went and saw, you know, all these different temples that are are dotted all along the Nile. And it's just breathtaking. It's something that, I think everybody should see, you know, if you if you have the time, the means and the interest then then do it. I, I wouldn't be deterred by anything else.
0: Yeah, I mean that's a it's a big goal of mine is to check that out, you know, just once again just the idea that this these are artifacts that really no one knows the origins of really. I mean if you think about the pyramids, there's like speculation as to where they came from, yeah. you know, how still. they were built still, what their function was. You know, there's different beliefs. And now uh, it was a John Wesley, uh, West, his last name is West, you know, an Egyptologist, I guess he just added a couple of tens of thousands of years to the age of the pyramids too. Really? Yeah. You know, based on like the Nile river Valley was like at one point, like underwater or something like that. Okay. So it just, it's, it's crazy. And it's like one of those things that you, you read that, you know, you, it's like um, this fleeting thing that you just passes into your brain and then disappears. But you actually, without ever really considering the, the the weight of something like that, yeah. you know, that there's this, because none of these buildings that we have now are going to last for, a couple, I mean, 50 years from now, if you like, if we just left like New York City in a hundred years, that place would be rubble, you know, well, there'd look, be nothing happened left.
1: Well, what Grand Central Station and Penn Station. There's two buildings that have undergone like pretty serious renovations. Yeah. And way less than 200 years. Sure. But
0: I mean, if we just abandoned those areas, it would be, I mean, look at Detroit. You go to Detroit, they're the the vacant parts of the city. In another 20, 30 years, they're going to be completely overgrown and there's any traces of there being, like uh, any roadways, if you leave that stuff unchecked, is going to be gone. And then then, like in 200 years, it's going to be a forest. Yeah. So the fact that there's like these gigantic monoliths out there that came from wherever, whoever built them, is like, a pretty heavy notion you know what I mean
1: yeah it's a, it's definitely a lot to digest and I think that's that's why it's crucial to to you know if you have the time and, and interest go and see that because looking at, at paper and having an interest is dwarfed by just standing there and looking at it, or if you have the opportunity to go inside it's a total trip it, it's it's really worth it
0: <clears throat> so there was this ice adventure that you went on too. And that one, you almost lost your life in, didn't you?
1: I wouldn't say lost my life, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we spent a couple days in the cold. Uh, So that was, you know what, you're not going to believe this. This is also the anniversary of that trip as well. So that was in uh, September into October of uh, 2010. We went to Iceland and got waylaid by the, the snow drifts. Um, so my buddy and I, Chris, who I went to uh, Iran with, um, the two of us rented a Land Rover Defender and drove across the interior. We later discovered that most companies that do tours stopped doing tours in early September. Oh, wow. We did it in <laughs> mid-October. Uh, but yeah, we, we made really good uh, coverage. We We went across almost the entire interior And then we're so close to the end of it and just hit a snowdrift. Dug ourselves out, started making ground again and hit another snowdrift. Dug ourselves out, repeated the whole process and then got stuck a third time. And the third time we were in about four and a half feet of snow. So none of the wheels were actually on the ground. Every time you start digging some of the snow out, the truck itself, the weight of the truck, you know, just comes down. So, uh, we ended up calling Iceland Search and Rescue, which just so happened to have from a little sign I had taken a picture of probably 50 miles back. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a little nerve-wracking, but then we had, uh, since we had the number, we made a call, we were able to deal with that. They knew exactly where we were, so one thing led to another, and it was fine. Um, that was interesting. Uh, Iceland's awesome. I can't say enough good things about that. That was, you know, before like this big rush of tourism kind of happened there. There was people going there, but it's, it's really taken off over the last few years. But um, I've been there a lot, actually, so.
0: I've only been to the airport.
1: Dude, get out of the I airport. Wanna, I want to go. I want to. the airport. I need
0: to. It's, it was uh, most recently, my last trip to, to England, or uh, not to England, to Europe, France, specifically France. Mm-hmm. We had a layover. We flew a um, an Icelandic airline called Wow Air. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we've spoken about the.
1: Oh, I'm, I'm aware of Wow. <laughs> have, have
0: you flown with them before? I have. And it's not very good, right? Your experience with them.
1: They are having a bit of trouble. I don't know if they still have their doors
0: open at the moment. So I think that might tell you yeah. <laughs> everything you need to know. It was like, you know, we we were flying there to do Hellfest, and uh, you know we had in advance we had a deposit from uh you know the, the people that put the festival on and we had to buy like tickets and all this other stuff okay. so i went yeah obviously who's the cheapest who we can afford right 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 so we can afford wow air and there was a reason why they were so affordable
1: yeah you could afford the ticket
0: but then once you show up you pay for every other single you get thing. jacked for yeah. like you know, your every bag, every I could like they 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 caught me by surprise in the morning because yep. I was just dozing and I woke up and this nice lady walked by and she's like, "Can I get you a cup of coffee?" And I was like, "Of course." It was like four dollars or something like that for like. Not would you like to buy a coffee? Yeah. Can I get you a coffee? I, I'm Those like, are... oh, I'm on a plane. They usually give you something for free, like water or coffee. And right. I was like, man. And then it was just like, like three three fifty for like instant coffee basically yeah but the other thing too is in, in some ways wow air doesn't even really exist like in the sense that when you show up at the airport we flew out of um out of kent jfk mm-hmm. we're like where's wow air like i never even heard of this place right right you know the the guy and the, the driver knew where we were going and the uber guy or whatever and um oh no actually it was a car service like one of these like park and ride services yeah. where you drop off your vehicle and they drive you in like a, a sprinter. And they, they knew where it was. And I'm like looking around for the sign and there's no Wow Air sign to be seen. And then this like one, I, th- I forgot what airline it was. Their sign changed to Wow Air. So they dragged all their gear over, you know, that little thing that you put to see if it fits in the overhead compartment, right, right. like that rig. And suddenly it's Wow Air. And they're just like these, like, nomadic, you know, kind of, uh, you know, nomads. You know, it's weird. It's like they they don't really exist in some ways. Well, again, it's like the odd thing of airlines to operate that way. It's like you want cheap air,
1: but those are where the cuts are made to make that happen. So it's like it's great when you're buying the ticket, but then when you get all those surprise upcharges, it's very
0: disappointing. In the long run, it actually was way more expensive. It was the old bait and switch, you know, it's like, okay, you know, and, and part of me was, you know, I've I've done this a couple times in my lifetime, you know, so I'm like, all right, let me get information. Like what, what are the charges? And they're very vague about all that stuff. Mm -hmm. When you try to find out, okay, how much they charge per bag, it really is kind of up to it's such a a crapshoot. You know what I mean? I do. I know exactly. Yeah. You you know what I'm talking about.
1: We had the same exact experience because the last time I went to Iceland, we flew while and then later looked at Iceland Air was sold out. That's how I ended up at Wow. Yeah. So it was the only option at the at, you know at the time, but uh, it would would have been cheaper to go with Iceland Air. Yeah, I think it,
0: I, I'm I'm going to uh, shun Wow Air if they still if they're still around. <laughs> and the seats felt like they were like maybe two and a half inches smaller than all the other airlines. There yep. was there was no uh, you know, no leg room. You know, it felt like I was I was riding a bus to France basically. And, uh, you know, there's a layover in um, in Iceland and everything was late. Everything. We were like yeah. an hour late getting out, getting in the air. And the whole time we're flying, I'm like, we're going to miss our connecting flight. Right. And I'm like, we made it by minutes. But you don't need to live like that, man. You know what no, I mean? Exactly. And it's like and no, these, these people don't understand that it's like if I miss this flight, I don't get there. And it means I don't get to play in front of like I don't get to do this whole thing. The whole reason why I'm flying there right. doesn't happen. I don't just like hang out in the hotel and like, oh yeah, man, you know, I'll get the complimentary this and that, and then like, you know, hang out and go to the bar or whatever. That's right. not why I'm going to France. I'm going to France for a reason. Right. And I expect my hard-earned dollars to put me at the right place and the right time. We well, you think
1: you're buying <laughs> some professionalism.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I got got a little intense there for a second. But <laughs> you know, <laughs> anyway. Anyone planning international travel, man, keep be aware, be advised about wow air. <laughs> that was a public service announcement.
2: <clears throat>
0: so any any um any any more plans in the future for travel anything immediate? It's it's the time of year apparently for you to go somewhere. Yeah, I actually just got back, so Oh, okay.
1: So I had this, I had a, a quick one, two, three run. Uh, I was in Florida for some family stuff. Uh, surprised my father for his birthday. Oh, um, that was nice. So that was nice. Uh, and then I came back and went to Mozambique in South Africa uh, for a couple of weeks. And then I came back from that. Uh, I was back for a day or two. And then I went out to LA for the, uh, the Caleb Schofield Benefit Show. So um, I just wrapped up. I think I'm going to be staying put for a little bit, but. You know how every trip is, man. Like, you don't even get into the trip, and you're talking about where is the next place you can get to. Yeah. yeah. Where are you going to check out? It's like buying records. As soon as you buy one, you're like, i got to buy this other record now. You <laughs> know, like, one thing leads to another. It just it fills your head with, with the possibilities.
0: When you were in Iceland, <clears throat> was there any, like, when you were locked in this, like, ice-bound tomb, was there any idea that you might not make it out?
1: Well, I think there was initial concern uh, just due to the fact that the truck was so stuck that we would suddenly be responsible for this massive bill of, you know, kind of extricating a huge, heavy off-road vehicle out of, you know, what was essentially the start of winter. Oh, wow. So um, that was the bigger concern. We had been camping the whole time anyway, so we had a bunch of warm clothes. We had a bunch of water, a bunch of food. Uh stove, we had like anything you could possibly need. We just weren't mobile and that was the that was the big concern. Um so again, we did what some people might consider foolish. Uh we considered a little bit of adventure and we're prepared as we could be, aside from having, you know, larger shovels and Popeye arms or something (laughs) to dig out. But no, it was it was it was fine. There's there's always a little bit of concern, but like Look, we broke down in uh, Zambia. We broke a Defender there. And we jumped out of the truck. And before there was any time to really get concerned about stuff, everybody just kind of falls into a role. One guy's getting out tools. One uh, one guy's getting out the sat phone. Somebody else is getting out the uh, safety triangles. You know, and, and everybody just kind of leaps into action. and You do these things, and, and you get out of it. Um, we limped that, the truck in Zambia back to uh, some guy's place and ended up having a whole other story to tell from it. Um, if you ever see this uh, Long Road Down show with Ewan McGregor kind of drives around with his buddy uh, on their motorcycles. And we bumped into uh, Joseph McGregor Brooks, who's a big crocodile wrangler out in Zambia. Crocodile wrangler. Yeah. He had, he, previously, he was an elephant and wildlife control guy. in oh, Africa. Wow. I'm talking about like in the mid-40s. Yeah. Like serious guy that we just stumbled upon. So like, you know, it was upsetting that we got waylaid with this broken truck. But then you find these other things that are just like we would never have bumped into this guy, and it's like we still talk about him, unfortunately since he's passed. But uh, just like some crazy character that's you know a Scottish guy that ended up in the middle of Africa, in like the '40s, '50s, and and just stayed there. So there's there's always a, a kind of a moment of that. You know we've had trucks run out of fuel, uh, other mechanical stuff go wrong, battery won't start, and I mean you're like not in the walmart parking lot you know you're like really you're in, it, in the yeah. middle of nowhere yeah um so when we went to botswana we had a truck that just kept shorting out every time we'd try to unlock the truck it would short out it turned out that there was some wire that was hanging oh and wow it was just you know completing a circuit and then that would arc the truck and it would short itself out so we ended up doing a little bit a little bit of repair work on the fly and and you know pulled stuff apart got it back to where it needed to be but there was the first like three days or so we just kept getting stuck. So that was a whole other thing, but uh you know, the more you travel, the more you tour, the more you figure things out and you're a little more prepared for the next time. So it's uh nobody nobody was bleeding, there was no like serious injuries, <laughs> nothing like that. No so, bears or anything attacking you. With that. No.
0: Yeah, cuz you know, this sounds like the beginning of a number of different uh horror movies that I've seen in my lifetime. <laughs> Well, you know we've, I mean?
1: we've had our fair share of animal encounters and that's, that's for the better we haven't had any lions in tents or anything like that but we've had some stuff stolen by hyenas and, and fox and things like this um, they're around you know hippos have been just now uh, just not just now but just recently in Mozambique we had uh, hippos come through our camp in the night which is you know they don't mess around hippos yeah. are the, the biggest cause for concern in, in Africa
0: one of the uh, one time when uh, when we were uh, to recording in upstate, like way upstate New York, um, this place is, is a town called Saugerties. Mm-hmm. Uh We recorded a, a, an EP up there called uh, "All Empires Fall," and uh, there it was on a. The studio was awesome. It was like very reasonably priced, had top of the line gear, incredible room, and it was on a farm. Okay. Right, and we had there were cabins for everyone to stay in, and. Uh, not a lot of people obviously record there um, because it's like in the middle of nowhere, but uh, we we were able to go up there and do a few days, and there was um these uh, these goats there, and I you know I get up early in the morning I had coffee I was sitting on the on the um, porch and like this there was like one leader goat and then the other goats followed him, and all four of them came up on the uh, the porch. And they're, like, making eye contact with me, you know what I mean? And I'm just, like, he's, like, very, he's, like, asserting that this is my shit right here. He didn't get to that place just accidentally. Yeah, man. Like, he's, like, you're in my spot. You're in my area. I just want to let you know who's boss. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. And it's, like, unusual. I mean, you know, there's a cat here, obviously. I have a cat. I have a cat. And we interact with these types of animals, but when you interact with a wild, undomesticated animal, that, that's a completely different story, man. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. I, um, I feel a little braggy, but um, we went to Uganda, and in Uganda, you can see uh, mountain gorillas, and you can see chimpanzees, so we were like, we have to go do this. Um, and we walked through the forest, to see the mountain gorillas, we, luckily we didn't have to go too far. We we found them, and we spent a little time with them. They're very very protective of the gorillas, so there were yeah. only three of I'm us. I'm sure they're in endangered, probably. Oh, you yeah, know. yeah, yeah, of course.
0: Yeah.
1: They're uh there's basically kind of armed guys around at all times with them. And so we were we were standing there and taking some pictures and really just soaking it all in. And one of the female gorillas. Turned her head and just looked at me, and gave me this look. Like she just kind of like flared her nostrils, and I I stopped dead in my tracks. That was probably the most scared I've been. And I, we're talking about like twenty five feet away, which sounds like a good distance, but gorillas will kind of cover that pretty quickly. Yeah, they can,
0: they can close that distance pretty quick. Yeah. I imagine. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so there's a couple of you know babies around, and they're they're all playful and doing their thing. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be between the mother and, oh, no. and the baby so I'm looking around to make sure that there's nothing going on but you know it's kind of paralyzed there for a minute and I'm hoping that anybody else could kind of see what's going on it's just pretty startling because it's it's not your environment you know it's yeah. like people freak out when they're in the water with fish and stuff like that so <clears throat> I think it's it's similar you're just like out of your environment yeah you know you know what to do when a cat approaches you or maybe a dog or something like that you have a, a much Kind of better idea of what takes place. in Yeah, that, there's a that rapport context.
0: between mm-hmm. the human and that type of animal. Yeah, you know, and, and and gorillas being, you know, very close to us genetically, and all of the darkness that's in the human spirit is in that gorilla too. You know that like, you know, on a different sort of instinctual level, they're not reasoning the way we are. There's like a very, I'm, I mean, from what I've read about gorillas and and primates in general, there's like, you know, a very a hierarchy of decision making that goes down. Yeah. You're in the in you're here, you're doing this, this is what I do as a response to that. If you're, you know, and of course for, you know, evolutionary purposes, you protect the young. If there's uh some weird bald ape there, you know, with no hair between you and your you're your young, that it's it's history for that guy, yeah. <laughs> you know, just there's no and nothing personal, guy, but you yeah. got to gotta go. Yeah, you know? this,
1: these are the rules here. These are the rules. And that was kind of the thing. It's like, you know, you start thinking immediately, like, don't show your teeth. Don't make eye contact. Like, you're looking, and, and you want to see this. This is what you came here for. Yeah. Um, but as soon as we locked eyes, I I, I wanted to break it off, but I didn't, it's like the ocean. You don't want to turn your back on the ocean, you sure, know? So yeah, I'm like, yeah. I just kind of tilted my head down a little bit and just tried to see in my peripheral vision I could see what's going on, but it was uh it was very tense and, and then you just think, is this gonna come back a minute from now, five minutes from now? Because you only have so long yeah. with them. So yeah. Yeah, it, it is like a, a very like mind expanding kind of thing to be in that space and then to have some kind of experience like that where it's just you don't read that in the books. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you just have to be their first person to kind of like soak that in.
0: Yeah, primates are so interesting, man. Chimps, you know, because like chimps are, I guess, are the closest to, uh, to humans. Yeah. You know, and, you know, they lie and deceive and all these things, you know, just like people, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Wow. That's an experience, man.
1: It's a good one. Again, I talk to people all the time. If you want to go to Africa, let me know. I, you know, I've been there a few times. I got some pointers and everything else and nobody seems interested to go to Africa. I think there's just too much
0: concern about bad stuff is happening. What about? Are you still vegan, right? Yeah. Now, how did how did that work in Africa? Like being vegan, like what were you? Was there hard to find something to eat there? No, I mean, look, there's there's all
1: different parts of Africa, and there's all different parts of civilization, like like um, built up structure. Let's okay. say. Okay. Okay. Um, so there is some stuff, you know. I can go and I could still get pasta I can go and oh, I can right. get Indian food but a lot of these times uh these trips were out there camping so I'm bringing my own food so it's not even an issue to start off with yeah so like when we go to Johannesburg uh there's a couple of nice Indian restaurants that we like to go to and we'll dig in there find some stuff uh I found a few other places that are you know vegan specific and I'll try to jump over there and just experiment with um what other places have going on I mean I'm in New York every day so you yeah, have you a lot of options there tons of there. options
0: there yeah um
1: so I want to go to these other places. Yeah, I want to see what's going on. I, I want to um, kind of check things out. And again, uh just got back from Mozambique and they had uh, a local dish. It was it? Matapa, I believe it's called, which was uh, cassava leaves, almond milk, um, uh, rice, and just a couple different things going on, and it was fine, you know? I just checked out this little local place and, and dug in. It was good. Uh, so it's nice to have some options, you know, like I think there's other parts of the world that don't have the the protein is not as crucial. Yeah. It's not as <clears throat> maybe prevalent, you know, like in Asia and Africa. It's still possible to get beef this out of the other thing or chicken this out of the other thing, but uh, the not having meat as the primary basis of the meal is uh, is not unheard of. It's not uncommon. It's not, you know, look well,
0: it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I can, yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, as far as like the human diet goes, like saturated fat is actually more of a crucial nutrient than, I mean, protein, obviously, but you can get that from plant-based stuff like kale and broccoli mm-hmm. and all this other yeah. stuff. But the saturated fat content apparently is like really what makes us run better as like hunter-gatherers. So, you, you know, the the if you think about when we were wandering out on the savannas, we might go days without eating at all. And sure, surely days without eating meat. Right. But our sort of hominid metabolism was able to like metabolize things like nuts and the fats from nuts and everything and roots and things like that more so than. But, you know, there's occasionally, you know, you you take down like some animal and then you would have enough food for the tribe for like a week or whatever. But then you might go two weeks without any meat, you know. Right. So there's like a lot of variance in like our the human diet, apparently. So how you've been a vegan your whole life, right? For the most part, like, you know, your adult life, I guess. Yeah, 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 my adult life. So, uh,
1: Taylor high school, I started, um, so we're coming up on 27 years
0: vegan. Interesting. I tried that once. I tried it, like, I tried that when I was, I mean, I probably wasn't doing it the right way. I mean, but, uh, it just didn't, didn't work for me physically. But, uh, I mean, most of my meals actually are, I mean, I have like one meal that's, mostly vegetarian for the most part. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think it's one of those uh kind of unusual things where everybody in like their high school years or college years they're like kind of try it out. It's some new different thing and people yeah. try it. And I think that they shut everything off one day and have no plan in place. And it ends up with like, you know, I tried tofu and it was cold and slimy. And it's like, well of course nobody wants to eat that. <laughs> so like if you put some thought into it, there's ways to do it. And I think you know since i started to now i feel like it's just so easy now it's it's kind of mind numbing that that people still make such a big deal out of it um it, it, you can go to the corner store and get some you know soy milk or coconut milk or almond milk or what have what, yeah. what have you um the ice cream stuff seems to be pretty prevalent uh again i you know i'm in new york so i've got access to stuff there but yeah i mean you go anywhere there yeah it's all over the place so yeah um now if you go to some more remote parts of of the u.s i'm sure it'll be a little more difficult but you know the again with the travel that i've been doing i've just been seeing things more and more uh just having options you know like eating more ethnic food asian food indian food there's a lot of stuff there that just you know, right from the start does not have the the meat basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It leaves a lot of stuff out uh, that normally would be an issue. So it's, like I said, I think it's, it's becoming far more common.
0: Have you or do you have any desire to try that Impossible Burger that I've been reading about? Have you, have you read about that?
1: You know what? I had one coincidentally maybe a week ago. Uh, same thing. I'd been seeing it and hearing about it, the Impossible Burger, the Beyond Burger and i didn't i don't know i just wasn't i don't feel like i need to eat a burger to replace a burger i yeah. need it to be more authentic i get the point of it like sure. cuz most vegan burgers are not necessarily good it's a patty form so like that as a the format the basis of a sandwich i i understand that um but yeah i had i had one recently and it was good. It was, it was fine. I, I don't want to like make a habit out of having, Well, it's
0: kind of, it's like kind of junk foody, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like what are the ingredients? Like, I'm just out of curiosity. Is it, is it like,
1: you know, I'm not even clear. I mean, is it filled with like
0: colors and flavors and all this other stuff? I think
1: it's a little, little better than that from, from what I gather, but you know, I, I didn't sit down and and do a real dig in on it because it it wasn't something that was really at the front for me, uh, that I really need to, to get in and try. Um, you know, like I said, there's a couple of places that do the burger format where it's, it, again, it's more of a patty than necessarily a burger. Uh And they use a variety of things that, you know, you've got some places, some places are using beets, some other places are using like potatoes and mushrooms and stuff like that. And it's, it, it's way better than it sounds.
0: No, it's, it's actually the thing I was going to add to this by, you know, being a meat eater, carnivore, omnivore, I, I would rather eat something that has less ingredients that tastes not like meat. You know what I mean? Like I if there's something that just had like lentils, rice, and like right. some seasonings, I'm down. Down with that completely. Rather than this like thing that's supposed to like taste like beef that has like a, a gazillion different additives in it. You know what right. I
1: mean? Right. And well it not always the test? It's like yeah. you, you give it to somebody who eats meat and they're like, okay, it's not awful, but I don't want to <laughs> eat this. Like, if you want a burger, you want a burger. If you don't want a burger, then you have a number of possibilities. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So, like, I, again, I understand why people are trying to kind of to crack this to make a more convenient food for, you know, any rest stop across the country. You know, you can go into any one of those chain kind of restaurants and get something quick and know that it's a vegan option. So that I, I kind of understand why that exists. Uh, I don't think I'm going to have, like, a cookout and do – a pile of burgers like that it's and like i said it's fine i'll have them but i'm not not running around to do that because like you said it just it feels a little more like junk food if i'm gonna do something at home then i've got you know the space whether it's cooking out on the grill or or in the kitchen you know you could roast some vegetables or something like that i i feel like i feel better eating that oh Which yeah should, definitely. i know you sh- yeah. should go without saying but yeah like I, I mean, just feel more involved in the entire process. So it feels a little, it feels more rewarding on a number of levels.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I guess I'm on, I'm on that camp too, or it's like, you know, when I eat, I, you know, I, obviously I like tasty food, but if it makes me feel bad, I'm not going to eat it. Like I like to, I'm more performance based. Like if I eat something yeah. that optimizes the way I feel, that's what I'm after. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't eat a lot. I try not to eat a lot of junk food, but, um. but yeah, it's just, I'm not, you know, I, even stuff that has meat in it. If it's got too many things that I can't identify, I just totally yeah. turn it down. Like, I don't go for it. You know? Yeah. So, you know, it's Halloween. Um, you have any plans for Halloween or anything? Is this a big holiday for you? For me, it is. I love Halloween. I know you do. I've been seeing
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I don't have much. Like I said, I just got back uh, from a bunch of travel, so I'm trying to, like, get back into the swing of things. Uh, where I live, we don't get any trick-or-treaters and I mean I've been here for 10 years and I've gotten
0: exactly zero trick-or-treaters it it looks like a haunted house out here actually (laughs) you know it kind of does at night yeah um during the day I'm sure nothing looks sinister during the day really
1: yeah this is true yeah that should be the tell
0: yeah (laughs) but uh, when when I was driving up here I'd only been here one other time right when we shot those photos a few years ago that's right um so I was like I saw this like dark passageway right Leading back to where I couldn't quite see the house, and I was like, oh, "I'm not going down there, man. That's <laughs> probably something bad down there." So I, I'm not surprised you don't get trick or treaters out here.
1: Mm, that's fine. And <laughs> I didn't select the house for the trick or treat abilities, <laughs> but uh yeah, no, I don't. I don't know what's going on. I, I haven't even done anything, like I said, because I've been away. So there's not even a single pumpkin or anything to be seen. And we're
0: at what? We're getting it in. Eh? Yeah. it's next week. Yeah. So. Well, you know. So anyway, thanks for, uh, you know, meeting up this fine evening.
1: Of course, man. Thanks um, for having
0: me. You know, thanks for listening out there. And uh, we'll be talking to you guys soon.